Some of you are part of those uh, monthly boxes. You get a box every month just to make you feel special, right? And you subscribe it for yourself. You know, it's just, I get this box, I feel loved, right? But there's this, this subscription craze has taken over, right? And that's what we've been exploring. We've been kind of having some fun thinking, what if we got a box this year and it was like the Christmas edition, 2019, and uh, what would God put in that box to help us understand Christmas better? What would be the things? So we've been unboxing Christmas, right? You might see YouTube videos, things like that. And so uh, today, it's not our last day of unboxing Christmas series, believe it or not. Our last day is actually after Christmas, where we're going to rebox Christmas and uh, put it all away. No, uh, we're going to pull something else out. I don't know what that, I don't remember. Okay, but that's what we're going to do. So hang with me, all right? And uh, we're going to have some fun today and see what we got in our kind of uh, last week here before Christmas. And uh, oh, this is an interesting uh, little shape. We've got uh, to everyone. Oh, it's not to me. It's for all of us. So, that's no fun. Okay, well, it's for everybody. This is going to be hard to split up 4,000 ways. That's where people that are listening to the podcast. They think there's 4,000 people in here. <laughs> I love that some of you looked around. <laughs> That's fuzzy math. Okay, so. Okay, here we go. What do we got? Team everyone. Oh, look, there's even, it comes with a poster. Hang coupon here. So obviously somebody doesn't think I'm that intelligent. I need to have it. Okay, here we go. Hang. I'm gonna hang this. This is a coupon of some sort that everybody gets to use. It's all, how many of y'all buy stuff online? Right? Okay, thank you, Jess. Jess is excited about it. Too excited on the online shopping there, by the way. Okay, so, <laughs> you, and you get like a coupon code. So this is like a coupon code online. It says, uh, Jesus, friends, and family, join the plan for life, unlimited to all for free. Y'all, is everybody in the room on like a friends and family plan for their cell phone? Or is there somebody still, you're like a lone wolf out there? Any lone, like, I will not join my friends and family and save money. It's a trick, Right? So this is like uh, we get this friends and family plan that we all can go and, and jump in on. And uh, it's a, it still looks like a pretty good plan. How many of you like for your cell phone bill to be zero? Yeah, that would be a nice plan, right? But when you jump in on these friends and family plans, like you come together and you get a better rate, right? And you get this better deal. Uh, and the reality is we love that. We love the idea of it's inclusive. Like you get to bring like 10 people. Like we had one point in time, I think we had like 10 or like 10, like we maxed out the lines and like they loved us. Our cell phone bill like was outrageous. It was like, and of course there was like so many people contributing. I had a part-time job being a bill collector to my family, you know? It's like... Venmo me, please. I've had to take a loan out to cover the cell phone bill this month, right? But that's the idea here behind this, the analogy, right? Is that Christmas in some way brings us this very inclusive offer of Jesus, right? And his, his friends and family plan for the cell phone, right? The connectivity with God is unlimited. Everybody. And it's unlimited talk, data, text, the whole thing. And it doesn't throttle down when you hit a certain level, right? I mean, it actually, the data, the connection with God speeds up. Like, that's the idea. Like, Jesus would send us, I think, this visual reminder of his inclusive nature, that everybody is welcome. We love inclusive things, right? I love the all-inclusive vacations. How many of y'all ever done this? Y'all ever done an inclusive vacation? You pay your one fee, which is fairly astronomical, but... It feels so good when you're there. And in fact, in like 57 days, I will be at a place just like that. 
on a Sunday. And I'm not telling any of you where it is. That's where we're gonna be, enjoying the beach and the warm weather in our all-inclusive vacation where you show up and you just put all your money away and you just eat and drink and you are gluttonous, right? And you just refresh and relax. We love it, right? The all-inclusive. And we're attracted, not only are we, do we love the inclusive things, right? Everything's included, right? Talk, data, text, unlimited, right? The inclusive vacation. We also love the idea of exclusive, It's interesting, we're attracted to exclusive things too. While we love inclusive when it means us, (laughs) right? We also love exclusive when it means us. We love the exclusive offers, right? Because exclusive offers that are tailored just for me, right? Because I was at the right place at the right time, they, they make me feel privileged and important and special. And who doesn't like to feel that, right? Let's just be honest. This is why it's such a, 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 a huge part of marketing today, this exclusive nature, just for you, just for me. And it's everywhere, right? You go buy concert tickets, you can upgrade to get the backstage pass, the all access, right? Uh, it, it's, it's in your exclusive offers that you get in your email, right? Everybody has email, okay, right? We get these offers, but they make us feel exclusive. We can unlock the hidden price. This is for members only. And it has become a very attractive thing in our world to offer someone something very exclusive. I remember I was part of a coaching network for for pastors. And this person was very good and I loved the material and I grew a lot, but their their team's like marketing strategy just made me want to puke. Right, because it was always like only seven spots left, and then I would show up. I'm like, "What are you talking about? Seven spots? You know, where it's like before I send this out to everybody, it's going to fill up fast. I wanted to start with you first, like you and the six thousand other people that are on your mail list, right? But I signed up anyway because I was like, I want to miss out." (laughs) Because we like the idea that oh, it's exclusive. It really is just for me and people like me. But here's the problem. There is a dark side to this idea of exclusiveness. And speaking of dark side, who's seen Star Wars? Raise your hand up nice and high. Oh, this service loves Jesus far more than the first service. There was like three people in the first service. In fact, there were people that I think were like, what's Star Wars? We immediately ushered them out. So we saw it the other night. But but like Star Wars, there is a dark side to this, right? There's something about wanting to feel exclusive and that's great. But here's the thing. The dark side of exclusivity is that it creates elitism. And it creates entitlement and it creates arrogance, which at the end of the day produces victims. And if we think about the world we live in right now, and if we think about the world that we inherit and the one that we're gonna leave for our children, it will be a cycle of victims. Because we are pushed and proned and pulled by our nature into wanting to feel that we are somehow more special than we are. And you could pick an era, you can pick a period of time, and we can find out and see who's been excluded to the trauma of victimhood. Genocides, gender exclusion, sexuality, economics, poverty, all of these things well up because of this underlying element in our human nature that somehow we're more important than our brother. We're more important than our sister because. And you can fill in the because. It's a different because for every generation. It's a different because depending upon what time zone you're in. It's a different because depending upon what hemisphere you're in. But there's always a because. This is why And it's not an exclusion, it's like this principle is not left outside the kingdom of God, unfortunately, in the church world. It's that we have our rhythms too. 
I have this working hypothesis that I'll never have time to like flesh out, but some really smart person should. And that is that every generation has a Gentile. That every generation has a Gentile that is easy to exclude, but it's a Gentile that God is raising up to renew God's people, to remind them of this radically inclusive message of Easter. That God brings to us people who we've interpreted and understood God in such a way that we think it's right to exclude them. And then there's a breakdown of that thinking and it's just a cycle that we go through. And I think that if you went through generation from generation from generation, starting with Jesus and the Gentiles, I think we could probably name who the Gentile is to the Christian community. And thank God we've seen redemption and thank God we've seen repentance and restoration and reconciliation. But it just goes on and on and on. And the, the, the thing that's so amazing about the Christmas story is that the Magi, that story of what has become known as the three wise men or the three kings, right? That the Magi bring to us an all-inclusive Jesus. And it's an all-inclusive Jesus that religion loathes. That organized, unhealthy, exclusive religion can't handle that Jesus. And that Jesus gets warped and twisted and turned. But the beauty of the story of the Magi is that when we read about them, when we think about them, when we really dig into it, we realize that this Jesus that was born somewhere, somehow, in some strange way, is one that welcomed everybody. Matthew chapter two gives us this great story and I'm gonna kind of go through the text. Uh, We'll just kind of go through summarizing it because we're gonna read the whole text here for you as part of our Advent uh, reading here in just a moment. But Matthew chapter two tells us this portion of the nativity story that has made it onto your mantle. How many of y'all have a nativity at home? Raise your hand up nice and high. They're real Christians. Good, good. (laughs) You wanna know something funny? I don't think we have a nativity at our home. Boy, we got a Christmas tree, though. I tell you that much right now. It's amazing I got this job. Okay, so um, we have our nativities, right? And they have the animals and the shepherds. And the, it's usually in a, 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 like a stable manger scene of some sort, right? Well, Matthew gives us a pretty interesting glimpse at the story of Jesus. If you're new to Bible study, Matthew is a book that's in the Bible. The Bible's a collection of writings. Uh, you may or may not be familiar with it. Uh, and you may be in here and like the Bible kind of scares you because it's, uh, it's something you've never looked at or you think you gotta have it all down to have this life with God or... Uh, or maybe it's been used against you. It's been weaponized. And so there's kind of some trauma attached to it. Well, if you're in any of those camps, I just want to say welcome. You're my kind of person. I'm glad you're here. Join the club uh, in terms of in my own life, the way the Bible's been used. But I actually think the Bible is a beautiful collection of writings that, that give us incredible wisdom to navigate this world that God has entrusted into us. And so if you're kind of at the very beginning stage of your journey with God and faith and the Bible, just take a nice deep breath. You don't have to memorize it all today. All right, that's next week. But, uh, but it's, uh, it, it's divided into two big sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament, which just means covenant. And the New Testament starts with these four books that are in the collection, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're called Gospels. And they tell the story of Jesus from unique perspectives. They don't all agree. They don't all line up. They have different understandings of the way things happen and the way they experience Jesus. Why? Because humans wrote it. Is it inspired by God? I believe so. 
But I believe that humans wrote this and God works in our humanity. I think God actually loves our humanity. I know it's something we don't think about, but we were made in his image. So it seems like something that God would enjoy is us. And, uh, and so the, the Bible, these four books tell the story of Jesus, his birth, life, death, resurrection. And, uh, and so Matthew tells it from a unique perspective. He's telling it to Jewish people that he's trying to make a point. So Matthew, the whole gospel of Matthew is trying to make a point to Jewish folks that Jesus is the promised Messiah. So you have Matthew doing all kinds of fun things with the text to make it fulfill scripture. So you'll see it over and over again in Matthew. This was written, this happened to fulfill or the prophet said, and we'll actually see that today a little bit. So that you just need to understand that's the perspective and why Matthew writes the way he does, right? So it, and he starts to talk and he says, it was the time that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem and it was during a guy named King Herod was the king of, Jew, of the Jews. He was the, the king there and he reigned in Jerusalem and had kind of some, he was in charge of some things. And uh, it was during that time that these magi, these wise men, they arrived right in Jerusalem and they were asking people some questions. Now, some of you are already going, Ryan, you got the story all wrong. What about the census? What about the census, right? How many of you are familiar with the census, right? The census. Joseph and Mary, they lived in Nazareth according to Luke. And there was a census and they had to travel from Nazareth down to Bethlehem because that was the city that Joseph would have been registered in. Well, Matthew doesn't know anything about that. Matthew's like, no, 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 they live in Bethlehem. They just lived in Bethlehem and it was time for Jesus to be born. So you have no census in Matthew. And there's, that's okay, everybody. Everybody take a nice deep breath. <laughs> Some of you are like, free. <laughs> Right? I mean, and history has done everything we can to try and make one manger scene, okay? But like, and I appreciate that because it all teaches us things, okay? But just relax, all right? So if you meet somebody that says, oh, I don't believe Jesus, you know, that Mary was, you know, came from Nazareth, like, don't freak out on him. It's okay. Matthew didn't either, right? And Matthew got in the Bible, right? I and mean, that's a cool thing, right? So he writes this and he's like, oh, they're in Nazareth. And we'll see actually later on that they come to a house, presumably Mary and Joseph's house where Jesus would be living, right? That was, the, that was what they thought. And so Matthew says, hey, this is the deal. There's these three wise men. They show up in Jerusalem. They start asking this question. Where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his stars. It rose and we've come to worship him. Now the Magi weren't simply wise men, okay? Now translations we use it to help us understand because we don't go around going, uh, what did you do for a living? I'm a Magi. Like, we don't do that anymore, right? But we also don't want to displace the reality of who these folks were. We don't know if there were three. It says three because there were three types of gifts. So we'll go with three. It's okay. Everybody relax. I know some people get all worked up about it. That, we don't know. You're right. We don't know. It's called faith. Okay, so here's the, here's the deal. And by, by the way, the Bible says you can't please God without faith. Isn't that fascinating? Yet yeah, we do so much to remove it from our lives, to be so certain. That's a whole other topic. Okay, so these magi, what they were, were probably astrologers, right? And it says they were from these, they were probably from like Babylon or Persia, but they certainly, I mean, I just, I'm of the opinion that they weren't Jewish. If they were Jewish, they would know where to go. They would know the prophecies according to Matthew. And Matthew's not concerned with showing them as Jews, so that's why I don't think that they are. They're probably, they're foreigners, certainly. They don't belong, but they've, they've seen this star. And so now they've shown up in Jerusalem. It's led them there. Now, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everybody else in Jerusalem. Now, why would everybody in Jerusalem be disturbed about this? Because Herod was disturbed and Herod was a disturbing figure, right? If you don't know much about Herod, a little, little 
like cliff notes on this dude, like jacked up leader of all time, right? One of the worst ever you could think of. Like he got into power through a coup that was actually ordained by Rome. Rome was all good with it. And so he got in, I mean, he had, he's had to kill relatives. He eventually kills his own wife that he loved deeply because he thought she had an affair. He did, she didn't, but he thought she did. He couldn't convince himself otherwise. He actually went to Rome one time, true story, Right, not like everything I'm telling you is true to my knowledge. <laughs> See, if you're paying attention, you're like, wait a second. What, what was the first 15 minutes? Okay, so historical, historical, historically accurate. He goes to Rome because there's a dispute happening over who should be in charge. He tells his officials, if I get assassinated while I'm in Rome, kill my wife so that nobody else can love her. Like that was it. He loved her. That was his idea. He loved her that much that he couldn't stand the idea that after his death, somebody else would marry her and love her. That is a weird kind of love, right? And so, but, but you also should know about Herod, like his relationship with the Jews was rocky. They didn't really like him. He was kind of in their minds considered a half breed because he was from, he was an Edomite. And uh, about maybe two generations earlier, the Jews had come down south into the land of Edom and they had conquered that area and they had forced conversion upon the Edomites. This was like during the time of like a little bit after when the historical acts of Hanukkah took place. And so you have the Jews coming down and then they are forcing the Edomites, which were descendants of, uh, of Esau, they were forcing them to convert to Judaism, right? And that leaves a bad taste in your mouth as a community, by the way. Like you, nobody likes to be forced to be converted into a religion. We, history has shown us that. Nobody's like, yes, make me abandon my culture for yours. Like that's not a good idea. And so there's residual stuff, right? Uh, there's residual things there with his relationship with the Jews. And so he's this king and, and he is as temperamental as it comes. So he starts to freak out. Nobody knows what to do. So he calls a meeting and he brings in the priests, the religious leaders. And he's like, okay, where's this Messiah supposed to be born? Where's this king of the Jews supposed to be born? And they say in Bethlehem in Judea. Because there was a prophet that wrote about Bethlehem. And then the prophet said, hey, you're not the least little of the ruling areas. Like God's gonna raise up from you this person who'll be a shepherd. And it was this amazing prophecy. And Herod, now he's like, okay, bring me the wise men. So Herod calls in the Magi. And he says, okay, here's the deal. You need to go to Bethlehem. And when you get there, I need you to find this king of the Jews and come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Because he had every intention of killing this child because that was what he did. When his power was threatened, he killed something, right? And, and, and the truth be told, that's still how power functions in our world. It might not be human beings. They might not kill a person, but they kill a story. They kill a person sometimes, right? I mean, let's just be real. Uh, but that's what it was. I mean, because power needs power, right? Identity, all that stuff, right? And so, so he says, go and find them out. So after he interviews, after the wise men meet with him, the magic with him, they go out. And the star that they had seen in the east guides them to Bethlehem, which kind of makes me wonder what the whole stop in Jerusalem was about. Right? I mean, if the star is guiding them, did it go away? Was it cloudy? What happened there? That they stopped, they had to ask directions because the star is the one that guides them to Bethlehem, which by the way is about five miles south of Jerusalem. It's not a far trip. They don't seem very wise to me. Okay, so they're go <laughs> they're go they go down. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. It's all sacred texts. So they go down to Jerusalem, or they go down to Bethlehem, and they find this place because the star stops over it. And it says that when the star, the star stopped, Matthew says that they were filled with joy. joy, joy to the world. 
plug in the lights, right? (laughs) You guys should not know what that movie is from. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. This story about the Magi coming and following the star, in early Christianity, it became a tall tale. And it really grabbed a hold of the imagination of early Christians. And it spread with the story of Christ. It spread into Syria, actually. Not, not long ago, in 2010, there was a document that was discovered. I say discovered. It had been translated into Italian, but then it had been kind of like buried in the Vatican. And there was a PhD student at Harvard in 2010 who heard about this document called the Revelation of the Magi. He became very interested in it. And so he went to the Vatican. He had been studying Syriac, and he, had, he, he heard it was written in Syriac. And so he said, I want to go find this document. And so he uncovers it, discovers it in the Vatican, and he starts to translate. And in 2010, this text is translated for the first time in history into English. And so a lot of work had been done, and this text gets dated to early, late 2nd century, early 3rd century Christianity. So that means a long time ago, all right? So kind of like think late 100s, early 200s. A, a, a lot of that, that's around, by the way, that's before the canon of scripture was ever established. The canon of scripture wasn't established until another 100, 200 years after that. Christianity doesn't even become the official religion of Rome until like 305. So this is very early in a Syrian Christian community, this text is floating around and it gets translated. And the first, say 75% is, is very early and authentic because it's written in the first person. It's, the, it's a narrative about these three magi. They're given names. They're given a country of origin. And they're, they're like, their story, their tradition actually goes back to Adam. So they're in, in this story, in this narrative, they're part of a religious community that has been watching for the star since Adam and Eve ate the apple. So they go up to the mountain of knowledge and they go and they wait and they offer their sacrifices and they wait for the star. And if the star appears, they come. So you can see this great image of it. This is a painting that was done. And you can see the three wise men there looking and they see the star, which is actually a human being, right? The, the, the star in the story takes on human form and speaks to them and gives them all kinds of wisdom. But they're the only ones that can see it. So you see the three people in the background there that you're trying not to look at because one of them's half naked. I know you, uh, but he's, they're back there. And and, and they can't see. The point of that is they're just living their every life and they can't see this star. Only these wise men, right? Only the ones that were called to it. And so they follow this star that replenishes their food during the long journey. They never grow hungry. They, 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 like, it's like warp speed. They're like, they go there much faster. Takes them, they, they encounter the star comes, the star takes on human form, then the star leaves, right? And this is all probably very early, authentic, understanding and and. Throughout this text, there's all kinds of statements about this God who has revealed God's self to the world in multiple ways. So in early, early Christianity, you have a group of people who've leveraged and understood the Magi to affirm that God is at work everywhere in all times. That God was not somehow sleeping for the first 2,000 years of human history and then decided to get involved when Abraham was born. Or that even during the whole thousand years of Jewish history, from Moses to the exile, that God was somehow only concerned with the Jews. And so you have these texts that are saying, now here's what's funny. We know that like Christian leadership of this time period didn't appreciate this story. And so what happens is you have this ending that's very weird, it's very disjunctive, where all of a sudden the story shifts, it's no longer written in the first person from the point of view of the Magi, and I know I'm boring some of you to death, but just hold on. And so 
So it's now written from the third person. Like some narrator starts writing and they start to tell the story of how Thomas, the apostle, shows up in Syria and converts and baptizes and they all become Christians and everybody lives happily ever after. Because the, the, the organized religion, even in its earliest forms with leadership and hierarchy and structure, couldn't handle the idea that God was at work in people's lives revealing Jesus without them. And so the text, really in its earliest and probably most original form, it says, absolutely, we need to spread the message of Jesus. But really, humanity is not super important. And Christian missionaries certainly aren't the end all of it because Jesus is alive and is revealing Jesus' self all over the world. So that was kind of the heartbeat of this document. And it comes out of this story that we have in our canonical texts of these three wise men that just kind of show up. And it tells us that very, very early on, a huge part of this story of Jesus and the nativity was that God was in the rescue business of everybody. And that God was at work in cultures that were foreign and distant that knew nothing of Judaism. And so they enter the house, the scripture says, and they see the child with Mary and they bow down and they start to worship. This word really is probably give honor Right? You could worship in antiquity. It didn't mean they were a divine being. Right? They, so there's this idea of homage that's being paid to this one who is king of the Jews. There's something very divine around this figure. The star has appeared. So they begin to bow and worship and they open up their treasure and they give him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Right? Now, any lesser of a pastor would use this as a pastor to talk about how we should open up our treasure and give gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to kids because kids are but I'm not that person, so I'm not gonna go there, okay? <laughs> so they come and they worship. Now, here's what's so fascinating, and this is what's affirmed with the, this great ancient text that we have. It's what's affirmed in the canonical story is that outsiders were always welcome to honor Jesus as king. That's why, that's why we put the wise men at the nativity, even though it's kind of anachronistic to Matthew. Matthew would be freaking out. Like, why do you have him in a manger? He wasn't, you know. But we do it because these parts of the story that we get from different perspectives give us a full picture of what truth is and the truth of Jesus. And so when it's time to leave, they get up, they go back to their own country. They don't go the way they're supposed to because Herod's gonna try and kill uh, the, 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 the child and so they're warned in a dream. But here's what's so powerful, right? They get up and they leave. They never said the sinner's prayer. That's for those of you that have been a part of church for a while. They don't convert to Judaism. They certainly don't convert to Christianity because it hadn't yet been formed. They just go home, transformed by Jesus, having bowed and said, this is king of the Jews. God is doing something. And in our world of conversion and repeat after me prayers and follow these rules and make sure you don't do this, we find something so opposite in the wise men that they just encountered God and they were transformed and that was enough. Becoming Jewish, circumcision, baptism, it became important to the Christian leaders of the day and so Thomas had to go and evangelize them. We get all that. But for Matthew and for its purest form, it was just about encountering Jesus and that was enough. And so they leave and an angel comes and tells Joseph, hey, here's the deal, daddy-o, don't, don't, you gotta get out of town. You gotta get out of town, you gotta go to Egypt. 
And if you read it, it's because there's a prophecy about God's Messiah coming out of Egypt. And so we have this great story of the flight to Egypt. And it's after that that they come and they move to Nazareth, according to Matthew. And so you have this great story where the outsiders welcomed. They flee, but they have to flee because the insider rejected God. The insider rejected the very God of his own religion. And I am afraid and concerned that that is happening all the time. That the insiders of Christianity are actually rejecting their very own God by some of our exclusive practices and exclusive nature of the way in which we do things. So when I say that, I know exactly what you're thinking. What's your point? I know it, it's all over your face. It's all over your face. What does a first century document have to do with today? Very little, I have to fill the time. No, it has a lot to do, right? And here's the point, and it's a good one, and I think it's why I was kind of excited about today. Because there's something powerful about Christmas, and it's not manger scene and Christmas cookies and Christmas trees and joy to the world, is that Christmas, the first Christmas, it inaugurates a kingdom, not a religion, but a kingdom founded on inclusive grace, not religious piety, and it breaks the yoke of exclusive religion. And I know that that's a mouthful, but it's what Christmas is about, and it's what the Magi show us, is that this Christmas, this Jesus that's born, is born to show us an inclusive path, a way for everyone through grace, not through religious piety, not through being in power, not through having all the right answers, not through knowing all your Bible, none of that. And it breaks the yoke that religion always wants to put on us. Maybe you've heard the statement, you've heard the verse, that whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Have you ever heard that? Anybody in the room ever heard that? You know, I grew up how that was quoted. Now you can dance in church because I'm free, right? Jessica had that, she had that leg going when she was <laughs> playing today, you know? Because that's because we're free. Are you kidding me? That's why Jesus came and died a horrible death so that we could dance in church. That's nonsense. I hate to say, it, well, I don't hate to say it out loud because I said it out loud. It's just not, is there anything wrong with dancing in church? Probably not, unless it weirds people out who don't know Jesus. And then I would say, stop it because <laughs> we should always prefer the people who don't yet know the love of Jesus, right? But is there anything like ethically more? No, but Jesus didn't come so you could slow dance with him at church, you know? I mean, that's, that's not it, or even fast dance. It, it's freedom from religion. It's freedom from insider and piety, artistic ways of thinking, of, of moralism, that's the most, and, that, and so Jesus is the way of inclusion. That's what that little baby in that little manger or, or the crib or whatever place you have it, like he's the way of inclusion, not exclusion. And somehow in our power structures and in our organizing of religion and organizing the message of Jesus, we've taken the most inclusive statement that Jesus ever made. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That is absolutely the most inclusive statement that could have ever been said and we've turned it into an exclusionary statement. And so this means that anybody who doesn't know that Jesus is the way, anybody who does, well, they're gonna burn in hell forever and ever. And what Jesus is actually saying here is your religion is worthless. It can't get you to God. You can't do it. That's not the point. 
all religions, all other ways that say, this is how you earn your way into the Father, this God of the world, the universe, the thing that is behind everything, the force, whatever you want to call it, wherever you are on your journey of faith, Jesus comes to reveal that your best efforts, it's not how you get there because God is present and you've been deceived and you've been lied to and you've been told that you're not worthy of God's love and affection and you've been told that God isn't with you but the truth is you were made in the image of God. So start living like it. Jesus is like, I'm gonna take care of this foolish lie that you've held on to. And he comes and, and he creates this way. Even the earliest creeds that we have in, in the canon of scripture, Philippians chapter two, Paul quotes probably one of the earliest Christ hymns where he talks about this Jesus who did not consider himself equal to God, yet was God, gave up everything, took on the form of man. So you have this creedal statement and it concludes with this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you know how that gets interpreted? Through a, a war-minded machine. It gets interpreted through this idea of a Zeus God that is punishing people, this idea of a God that is all powerful, that is triumphant. And so if you, stand, if you dare stand against this God, this God will humble you and this God will take this God's foot as if this God had a foot and put it on your neck and you will bow before Jesus and you will proclaim him as Lord even if you don't want to. And that's what it means to give it to the glory of God. Are you kidding me? How does that even remotely resemble love? It's, it's, in, it's logically inconsistent with a God that is love. But what happens is this, I believe that what this scripture and scriptures like it reveal is that love is very powerful. And that eventually I hold to this hope that one day because of love, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and every mind will understand the incredible love that God has for them and there will be restoration of this world and all that is in it. And I find that in scripture just as much as I find those verses that people hold to that God is gonna punish and God is gonna ruin and God is vindictive. But in Jesus, I see what I think is the fullness of it. And that's worth living for. And I would say that's even worth dying for. So what about your everyday normal life? How does this scandal of grace and the cross and the manger hit you? Well, there's two questions that I just wanna encourage you to think about and then we gotta get going. I'm way over. Number one, what star is guiding you to the one who heals all wounds? Because there is a star, God is always putting stars in our path that guide us to the one who heals our wounds that guides us to the one who is love, that guides us to the one who's able to restore all the things that are broken in our world. And that star sometimes is, we don't wanna follow it because it's painful. And sometimes that star is loss and sometimes that star is rejection and sometimes that star comes with bruises, but God uses that to bring us into his healing. And sometimes it's wonderment and sometimes it is joy and sometimes it is some sense of elation. But have you paused to consider what is the star? And then the next question is, are you willing to welcome anyone willing to follow their star? Are we as a community willing to welcome anyone who says, I wanna bow and I wanna proclaim that Jesus is king? I wanna learn about this Jesus. I, that God has been doing this. I don't even have words to think about it. In fact, they may, their words might even be different words like the Magi. They might've thought differently about God, but God is still at work because God is universal. 
There is only one God. And that God might be being experienced in ways that are different than the way you and I are, but God is through God's might and power and work, like calling people through this understanding of Jesus. And who knows what their language might be. They might, you might call it the force. You might call it the universe. I don't really care. I don't even think God does because I think God cares more about you than language. And will we welcome? That's the question. And I hope we say yes as individuals and as a gathered church because when we say yes, we get to be a star for those who need God's love and grace. We get to be the thing that God uses to guide them into his fullness. And that is an awesome story to be a part of. So we're gonna get out of here in just a few moments, but we're gonna take about 10 minutes to just reflect on this inclusive birth. So we're gonna read our Advent reading here. Would you do me a favor and welcome our family who's gonna come and as we do that, you might wanna get out your Connect card. You might wanna get out your Connect card and get your offering ready and over, during these moments to consider what's God inviting you into today. The first one that I hope you'll realize that through your church, God is inviting you in to welcome everyone during our candlelight services, to be a part of that welcoming space. Volunteer for one of them, pick one. Oh, but Ryan, I'm so busy. Yeah, join the club. It's Christmas time. <laughs> I just don't know if I can. Trust me, there's something you can do, right? So this is an easy, low-hanging fruit way to just start being welcoming and creating that space. And a little tougher one that maybe God, I've had this sense as I was praying through this, is that I, th- I think that God's been speaking to a lot of us, whispering people in our lives that we're supposed to invite into our home, like on Christmas Eve or on Christmas Day. And we're kind of weirded out about that. Like it's like, oh, that's a kind of familiar space. I don't know if we should. And so maybe God's inviting you to say, I think you should invite him. You just need to say yes to that. So stand up with me. We're gonna stand and say this together and then we're gonna sit because that's what you do in church. You stand at certain points, you sit at certain points. It's kind of weird. I don't know why, but just give you a break. So we'll read this and then we're gonna have our Advent reading of the whole passage from today. A great song and then we'll get you out of here. Plenty of time to see the Broncos. Let's read this together like we mean it, by the way. We as the Crossroads Church community believe that God will begin something new in us this Christmas season. We expect to meet God in all the spaces where we live and learn and work. We expect to see God moving in our families, our friendships, and in the larger culture. We are ready to share the hope we have in our hearts, and we are confident that God is working in and among everybody always. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, For a ruler will come for you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. 
Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It was ahead of them they, of them, and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Today we pause and light our fourth candle of Advent, the candle of welcome. In the story of the wise men, we see that God announced Christ's coming not to the religious elite, but to the cultural outsiders. This candle reminds us that God welcomes all to experience the Christ child, regardless of race, creed, socioeconomic status, orientation, or religion. Please pray with me. God of hope and peace, we believe that you are good and that you desire to bring us joy as we seek you this Advent season. We invite you to work in and through us, even as we participate in the hustle and bustle of Christmas preparations. We thank you that your good news of the Christ child is for all people. We admit that we sometimes overlook those people that don't fit into our accepted norms. Teach us to step out of our comfort zones and offer warm welcome to all that we encounter, both inside and outside our church walls. Amen. Amen. Let's read this together to finish our Advent candle. We are the hands and feet of Christ on earth. Let our eyes be open, our hearts ready, and our arms outstretched to embrace all that God has for us this Christmas season and beyond. 